0: good morning good afternoon and good evening or whenever you may be listening welcome to episode 25 of the hang time with Helgi podcast i am your host luke algerson you know how we do it five topics unpopular opinion let's get right into it topic number one The biggest story in sports right now has got to be the start of the NBA playoffs. We're in day two, people, day two of games. It's been an incredible playoffs thus far, and we've only played, I think we're just six games in. We've only seen six games, and all of the games have been great with the exception of one. So let's start with the most interesting game thus far. We'll just do a quick recap of what's already happened to this point. The most controversial game has got to be the Dallas Mavericks against the Los Angeles Clippers. And the reason it was the most controversial was because a star player by the name of Chris Daps, Porzingis was ejected from the game after two weak technical foul calls um, in the third quarter. And the Clippers ended up winning that game. They won 118 to 110. And it was a close game throughout. The Mavericks were rolling on offense. Clippers were right there hanging with them. It was a great game, and then all of a sudden, the refs decided to hit Porzingis with his second technical. How he picked up the technicals, first one, he disagreed with the foul call that he had against Paul George going up to block his shot, refs called the foul on him, he didn't like it, maybe he said a cuss word, maybe he did something egregious, but I don't think so, I didn't hear anything come up on the mics when I was watching the game, boom, dinged him up for the technical. The second one was the way more egregious one when he was just helping out his co-star, Luka Doncic, get another guy out of his face. Marcus Morris fouled him. Luka didn't like the foul call. Got in Morris' face. Morris got right back. Chris Stapps comes running right over. Gives Morris a little shove. Nothing more extreme than just a slight shove to kind of break things up. Not doing anything egregious compared to what everyone else was doing to try and break things up what the refs were doing to get guys out of the way he literally did nothing wrong and here comes the M, the refs just mm, tee him up that's his second technical he's gone in a crucial moment of the playoffs it just makes the league look soft I get it they're super against fighting no one was gonna fight in that situation It's literally two guys disagreeing with the call, one guy coming in to separate it, get another guy out of his face. No one was swinging punches. No one was spitting in each other's faces. No one was doing anything super egregious. And then the refs just had to blow the whistle, call the technical. And these guys are thriving off their own emotion right now. They have to create it. There are no fans to bring energy. There's no one cheering them on besides their teammates and coaches And the feud personnel that get to be there, they got to create their own emotion. And you're literally taking the emotion away when you're dinging up guys for technicals, for just breaking up fights, not even fights, little, you know, angry conversations with each other because they're trying to compete out there. It makes the league look soft when you ring guys up. And that's why everyone says the NBA is soft today. Players aren't soft. The league makes them look soft. And it's a huge problem, and I really hope Adam Silver talks to the refs and be like, hey, if it's a slight shoving match, unless anything gets absurd out there, I can understand ejecting a guy. But no way should it be just Porzingis putting his arm across a guy's body, moving him out of the way a little bit, saying, don't get in my superstar's face like that, and teeing him up. It's ridiculous, and especially in such a crucial game. The Mavs are the underdogs. They need as much firepower as they can get against a really good Clippers team. And the Mavericks were playing well. They were winning to that point in the game. It was going great for them. And then all of a sudden, Porzingis is booted out. Offense kind of sputters a little bit, and then they end up losing the game. Like You don't know what could have happened if Porzingis stays in the game and if the Mavs go into game two with a 1-0 series compared to the Clippers leading 1-0. I just, I don't understand how you can make a foul call, a technical foul call in that situation, especially on a guy like that. You know damn well if any other superstar in the league does something like that, not to say Chris Stabbs is a superstar, but he's almost a, he's a borderline all-star player. He's a really impactful player to that Mavericks team. If anyone else to that caliber is doing that, they're not getting ejected. If Patrick Beverly does something like that, He's not getting ejected. It's just not happening. So, and not to say he's even an all-star caliber player, but role players could do something like that and not get ejected. So I don't understand what these refs were thinking when they made this call. It was absolutely ridiculous. So Clippers lead that series 1-0. Second biggest game so far in the playoffs has got to be Donovan Mitchell's 57-point game against the Denver Nuggets. Utah Jazz, unfortunately, lost 125-135. Game went to overtime. It was an absolute thriller to watch. Mitchell was going off. Murray was going right back and forth with him, though, as he dropped 36. Jokic had 29. It was a great game. Mitchell, third highest-scoring game in postseason history by a player. 57. He was giving them the business. Nine rebounds, seven assists. Just, you know, caught another controversial slip up on his part where he had a back an eight second violation in the backcourt he takes full responsibility for it saying it's a reason they lost the game I don't think it was a reason they lost the game but at least he's owning up to it that even though he dropped 57 he could have done more he could have done better I love that mentality out of a young rising star fantastic that he'll take responsibility and know he's the superstar on it on his team and it Wins and losses are dictated on his shoulders, so I can respect him owning that, but I don't think it's the reason they lost the game, because it happened with like a minute 30 to go in a six-point game. It was a close game. or It was just really close at the time. I can't remember if it was five or six or seven, but it came down to the wire either way. He hit some more shots. Murray hit some more shots. Jokic hit some more shots, made some free throws. It was it was back and forth. It went all the way to overtime. Nuggets were just the superior team in overtime. So I'm not going to blame the eight-second violation on the loss. It's definitely a mishap, but with the minute 30 to go in the game, a lot can still happen. So that's going to be one of the best series of the playoffs. Keep your eye on, on that. I think the overtime... Game one is just a preview of what's going to happen there. So that was a thrilling game. The third game of Monday's action, um, in order of most exciting to least exciting, is what I'm kind of doing here. Celtics against 76ers. Celtics won 109-101. 76ers look a little better than I thought they would without Ben Simmons, but maybe he kind of opens things up as Milton steps in at point guard. Uh... They just had a little more shooting, a little more offensive flow to the game. But Tatum was a beast for the Celtics as he continues to be dropped 32. Jalen Brown had 29. He looked great for the 76ers and Bede had 26 and 16. Al Horford underperformed with only six points. Alec Burke stepped up nicely with 18 points. Josh Richardson had 18 points just I don't think this series is going to go very long just because of, well, the Celtics are just the better team. Clear cut. You know, Tatum's going to be unguardable at this point. Jalen Brown's a little bit unguardable at this point for them with the matchups with the 76ers. The big storyline out of this, though, Gordon Hayward had a severe sprained ankle and will miss the next four weeks so that makes things a little more interesting. I think the Celtics will still pull this away, but that's a big loss when they move into the next round. When they move into round number two and Hayward's not there, you know, you need all the firepower you can get in these playoffs right now. This is the most crucial time of the year. August and September playoff basketball. I'm here for it. When do we ever going to say that? But they, like I said, it's going to be a big loss for them once we move into the later rounds, if they can keep advancing, but... They're going to need Hayward, and even if he misses four weeks, comes back against, let's say, the Raptors, he's not going to be 100% healthy and in game mode. So it's a big loss for the Celtics with a team that definitely has to have championship aspirations on their mind, especially in this unconventional thing that we've never seen before in the NBA bubble So big loss for them, but the Celtics up 1-0 against the 76ers. The worst game of yesterday had to be the blowout. Toronto Raptors against the Brooklyn Nets, uh, 134-110. Toronto was up at like 40 at one point. It was an ugly game. Toronto's just too deep, too many good players. Just so many good role players. You just look up and down... Fred VanVleet drop 30. Kyle Lowry giving you 16. Pascal giving you 18. Serge Ibaka giving you 22. O.G. Ananovi giving you 12. Marcus Hall giving you 13. Terrence Davis off the bench, 11 points. They just have a lot of guys who can step up and do a lot of different things for them. So that's going to be the shortest series, I think. That's the only one that doesn't have sweep written all over it. Raptors shouldn't drop a game. And if they do, hmm, well, I'd be shocked. I'd be shocked if the Nets can manage to get one game out of them. So uh, it was a blowout Raptors go game two, up one nothing. And now the big games for the day, we've already had some good ones, people. I hope y'all are paying attention to what's going on because here Tuesday, August 18th, the first game, the Orlando Magic steal one against the number one seeded, number one rated defense, number one rated offense, and probably going to be MVP, Giannis Antetokounmpo. That's right. The Magic win another game one in round one. They did it last year against the Raptors when DJ Augustine went off. They go 2020 playoffs, winning another game one against the higher seed. Vucevic was a monster, 35 points, 14 rebounds. Markel Fultz, Stepped up very nicely as he chipped in 15. Gary Clark, he had 15. Ennis had 11. Fournier hit some big threes at the end of the game. Struggled throughout, but came up real clutch for them when it mattered most. And Terrence Ross, off the bench, dropped 18. And don't forget DJ Augustine. He had a little double-double with 11 and 11. 11 points, 11 assists. So Magic actually looked really good. The Bucs had a hard time controlling the offense. They made 16 threes. They shot just under 50% from the field. While the Bucks looked very pedestrian out there. You know, Giannis looked like his MVP self. 31 points, 17 rebounds, 7 assists. It's what he does. He had 5 turnovers, 5 personal fouls. But the next highest scorer, George Hill. He had 16. After that, Middleton, the other all-star supposedly on their team, had 14. Eric Bloodsoe had 15, but shot a measly 5 of 11 from the field. Wesley Matthews had 10. Brooke Lopez only had 5 points. Just, they didn't have a lot of production. They just looked, they did not look like the number one seed today. I imagine things are going to turn around as this series continues, but it was definitely shocking to see how effective the Magic were without two of their key guys. Isaac's out, Jonathan Isaac. He's out with an unfortunate knee injury after just coming back from an injury, and Aaron Gordon wasn't in today, so they started Clark at power forward. He stepped up very nicely, and the Magic 122-110 victory. Now, back-to-back years, they win game one of the series. Now, um, before we all forget how easily the Raptors then dominated the rest of the series as it was just a five-game series, so you can call it a gentleman's sweep, but... That was a, a one-possession game when D.J. Augustine just happened to hit a big shot. This was a blowout loss by the Bucks. Like, they just looked like the worst team. The Magic looked better today. Maybe that's just the day, but it's the bubble. At this point, with no home court, nothing to get your energy up, it just depends on the emotion of the day. The Bucks have struggled a little bit in the bubble. So you don't know what could happen. This would be the biggest upset if they lost. I don't think the Magic are going to win this series. I have a hard time believing the Bucs would lose four out of seven to the Magic, but it wasn't a good day for the Bucs at all, so maybe they can turn it around game two. Second game of the day was the Miami Heat winning handily against the uh, Indiana Pacers, 113-101. to 101. Jimmy Butler looked great. For the Miami Heat, as he had 28 points, 3 rebounds, 4 assists. Uh, Gordon Drogic had a nice game. 24 points, 5 assists, 6 rebounds. Bam Adebayo looking like one of the most improved players in the league. 17 points, 6 assists, 10 rebounds. A little double-double action for you. Tyler Hero off the bench. 15 points, 4 assists, 3 rebounds. Just got a lot of nice little pieces for the Miami Heat. Uh, I think this will be an interesting series. I thought it was going to be anyways, but the heat have really had the Pacers number in the bubble so far as it's been kind of two easy victories, um, over the Pacers, uh, you know, TJ Warren still trying to replicate what he's done throughout the bubble. He only had 22 points and nothing leading score tied for the leading score anyways, with Malcolm Brogdon, Victor Oladipo, he only had four points played nine minutes. So didn't get much time, uh, Miles Turner was disappointing, nine nine rebounds, nine points. Uh, Sampson had 10 points off the bench. Holiday had 11. Just at this point, the Pacers, uh, with Sabonis being out, that's a big loss. And uh, Oladipo not being able to play those big minutes, it's going to be an uphill battle for the Pacers. So I think that he will win this one. And uh, currently right now, watching this, like I said, watching this, Houston Rockets against the Oklahoma City Thunder. And uh, I'll just give you my round one picks real quick. I kind of named a couple of them off. So um, we'll start with the games that I've already mentioned. Uh, Clippers-Dallas. Dallas Uh, Dallas fought well, but I do think the Clippers will win this game in six. When it comes to that uh, Denver-Utah series, uh, I got Denver winning it. I think it will be a great series, though. I could see it it going seven games. Um, Mitchell is fantastic for the Jazz. They're a little shorthanded with no Bogdanovich, but I like their chances to just keep going. And um, but I still see the uh, n- the Nuggets winning that one. Um, I got the Celtics um, beating the 76ers. They just don't have a lot of firepower. Um, that being the 76ers to be able to contend with what the Celtics bring to the table. So I see that five six game series. Uh, I mentioned Toronto's more than likely going to sweep the uh, Brooklyn Nets. Uh, Milwaukee Bucks, you know, they dropped a big one today, but I really see that at most. I think the Magic will be lucky to win one more game. If it goes any more than six, I would be shocked. Like, if the Magic managed to fight to a seven, that that would be incredible and a win amongst itself. Finish out the Eastern Conference, like I said, Miami Heat will end up beating the Indiana Pacers. And then um, to finish out, I got the Rockets over the Oklahoma City Thunder. I just think, you know, Westbrook's out right now, but the Rockets are looking pretty good in this game. Um, when he comes back, I think they'll just be too much for the Thunder. Thunder were a nice story this year. Chris Paul showing that he can still lead a team. And uh, they were just one, they were the best surprise of the year. But I think that runs out here in the first round. Uh, Rockets just have too much with the MVPs of – James Harden and Russell Westbrook. And the final series, night game, last first game of the first round of the NBA playoffs, the Los Angeles Lakers against the Portland Trailblazers. Portland Trailblazers fought really hard to get to this point, to make the postseason, to win the play-in game. It just, they battled Lillard. There's a reason he was the bubble MVP. He wasn't my pick. I thought it should have been Booker, but amazingly, um, Damian Lillard was just on another level, on a tear, getting the Portland Trailblazers to where they need to be. But with that being said, there's a reason the Lakers are the one seed, and they are going to win that series. I could see it going six games. You know, Lillard and McCollum could get hot two games, bing, bang, boom. It's a close series, but I think LeBron AD will be too much. Portland has a hard time on defense. So, uh... Lakers will beat Portland. So Lakers will play the Rockets in the second round. Clippers will play the Nuggets in the second round. Um, Milwaukee will play the Heat. And then the Celtics will play Toronto. And we'll keep breaking it down from there. I'll keep saving my picks. We can't give everything away yet, people. we got time. we got nothing but time as games have just started. So we'll keep breaking down these playoffs as they go. Topic number two, college football seems... To be wanting to go with a few conferences, Uh, the SEC, amazingly, plans on going along with the ACC and Big 12. And the SEC just recently released their schedule for the 2020 season. It's just going to be a 10-game in-conference schedule um, in true SEC fashion. Uh, They did it, dramatic effects. They did it for TV and they are going to start September 26th. So they give themselves uh, five weeks to get ready. I was going to say there's no way they could possibly, possibly get this season underway on September 5th. Like that's just not enough time for things to get kicked off. So they're pushing it back towards the end of the month. I think it's if that's the way they're going to do it, it gives them time for cases to go down, maybe get some testing protocols under control, figure out what they're going to do as far as fans go. It gives them some extra time. So I think it's a smart decision to start the season on September 26. Um, Just it's – with these schools, like UNC is part of the ACC, and they just announced they're moving to remote classes only. Uh, So I feel like that's going to help their football team to be able to play if it's just the football players on campus. You know, that'll help them kind of make it a little bubble there. But uh, it's just – I'm not in agreement that these conferences should be playing. Again, I think the most drastic thing, looking at the percentages, I understand. people, Young people do not die from the coronavirus. It just, It's very rare circumstances that they do. But if just one, one of these schools has a player test positive, that school would just be ridiculed, just defunded. It would be major backlash against one of these schools like, uh, I don't know, Pick a random school out of one of these three conferences. Let's go with Colorado out of the Pac-12. If they have a kid who passes away from COVID-19, it would be disastrous for them as a university. The media would scrutinize them to no end. Just I I, I don't understand how they can keep pushing forward with the season. I honestly like that the Big Ten and Pac-12 backed out to this point because it's different from the NFL as there's billion-dollar owners who can – Provide for these players who can compensate these players. Whereas college football, they're not paid, they're student athletes. Like, this is they're amateurs, is what we're told. That's what it's supposed to be. School's supposed to come first, and they got to prioritize their school and health before competing. I understand, as an athlete, trying to go pro, you want to play. Justin Fields started a petition within the Big Ten to try and play, but I think it'll be to no avail. I think it'll be to no avail because. How they came to the decision isn't clear, but at this point, I just have a hard time believing that they're going to play a full season. Like, what happens if there's an outbreak with the Auburn football team? Like, does the whole, every team that went against Auburn have to, you know, shut it down? Like, it's, it's still the same college football schedule, you know? It's just a shortened season. It goes all the way from September 26th to December 5th, conference championship, December 12th. You know, it's it's very odd. We're just living in very absurd times, and I get it. Players, I imagine, want to play, but these schools got to be able to show that they can keep these guys healthy. But I think them playing and putting this out just shows that they just care about the money. They little TV contracts to bring money into the university. It's just... I think that's all they really care about at the expense of these these players that they don't have to pay that are the product on the field but the universities make all the money off them the athletic departments make all the substantial funds off them so Uh, I side with the teams that uh, and the conferences that decided not to play more so but I would love to see college football you know I like watching football of course like everyone else but I just I have a hard time believe they're going to be able to play a full season and it's and it's just a little diminished now that all the Power Fives aren't playing. I understand they want to play. You know, postpone it. You know, do what you have to do. But, mm, they, again, the SEC is the best conference, so it's going to be good games. You know, to start things off, I guess, you know, Florida plays old Miss, Lane Kiffin's debut. That's opening weekend. Mm, all the other games are pretty much boring other than that one you know the great matchups i guess don't start till week 2 when texas a&m plays alabama, auburn at georgia, uh south carolina at florida on october 3rd. um lane kiffen will play alabama october 10th. florida plays texas a&m that same weekend. man, lsu gets a tough draw by having to play both Ala- uh alabama and lsu and i think it's their coach's first year. Who that's going to be a It's going to be an uphill climb. Georgia against Alabama, October 17th, along with LSU at Florida. So, you know, the SEC is just really top-heavy to me, as most of these conferences are in college football. It's just like the the Alabama, LSU, Georgia, Florida – Auburn's always hit and miss, but maybe Texas A&M could be better. But gosh, I just don't see anything from Missouri, Vanderbilt, Tennessee, Kentucky, South Carolina, Old Miss, Mississippi State. I think all of Arkansas—they're just all not going to be good. They're just not good football teams. So I think it's very top heavy. November fourteenth, Alabama plays LSU, so there's a fun one. Uh, It's just college football is going to look drastically different this year than what we've seen it in the past, and. You know, if they play, I'll watch. I got to tell you that. I'll be tuning in. But I expect more conferences to keep backing out. Or I think that's more the direction they're going to go rather than reinstating football and playing again. Like, the NCAA already announced that all fall sports have been postponed. Football football's the only one that's trying to keep going to this point. Football is the only one that's still trying to figure it out. Everything else. I feel bad for those athletes. Men's soccer, cancel. Women's soccer, cancel. Volleyball, cancel. Track and f- cross country, cancel. Uh, I'm sure I'm forgetting some fall sports that happened, but gosh, it's just all done. The only one that's trying to make it happen is football. And that, you know why? Because football makes the most money. And they can cancel all these other sports real quick because they don't bring in funds like college football does. That's the only reason they're going to keep going. And it's a shame that these athletes don't see a penny. It's a damn shame. But that's a topic for another day. Topic number three, the coaching carousel of the NBA begins. We've already seen it happen. I talked about a hiring a few weeks ago with Tom Thibodeau getting hired by the New York Knicks. Um, There were just a couple other moves, I guess, before that. J.B. Bickerstaff is now the Cavs coach after Jim Beeline retired. Well, not retired, stepped away because he just didn't connect with his team. He just didn't connect with the old prof, prof, young professionals. You know, he's a college coach. just kind of shows he wasn't able to connect. He was hard on his guys. It just wasn't the same. NBA environment's different from the college environment. You can't treat them the same. They're professionals. They're grown-ass men. They get paid. They get paid for their services. Is you. Uh, coach will go before the players. Coach is going to be gone before the players, but that's irrelevant. Kenny Atkinson was replaced by Jock Vaughn. Um, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, um, from reports were the reason Atkinson was out. So Nets are gonna be looking for a head coach once they get bounced early in this playoffs. And the couple, the big moves. um, Jim Boylan was fired as the Bulls head coach, and deservedly so. He was an abysmal thirty nine and eighty four over a year plus at the helm. Again, another guy who just didn't connect with his players very well. You know, he went back and forth with Zach. Levine, their best player, like he, he's a monster on the scoring end, could use some work on the defensive end. But he went. when you go back and forth with your best player, again, you're, the coach is gone before the player. I'll tell you that. You've got to get talent where you can't. You, know, you could plug in a good coach and make things happen. There are better coaches out there than these guys. Like, there's a reason there's constantly a coaching carousel in the NBA because you've got to find the right guy to put at the helm. Another guy who I think unfairly lost a job, but he had a lot of time there. He had a lot of time. Um, that was Alvin Gentry. He lost his job with the New Orleans Pelicans after five seasons, just one trip to the playoffs. They're a young, up-and-coming team. I really don't like changing coaches when you got a young team. This just shows. Like, look at, look at the Timberwolves. They've been coaching Carousel Towns' entire career, and they – haven't been able to figure out except one year where Thibodeau got them to the playoffs after trading for Jimmy Butler, and then he wanted out. It just, it's tough. It's tough as an NBA coach. I think they should have given Gentry another year. But David Griffin, new GM, he's trying to make things happen. Um, now, if you don't know the relationships there and the guys who are the – Not going to talk about the top coaching candidates just yet. We'll save that for another podcast, but it's pretty clear writing on the wall on who the Pelicans want to bring in as their coach. If you know uh, anything about David Griffin, you know, he won a championship in Cleveland with LeBron James. There happened to be a certain coach that was um, coaching at that time who's currently an assistant for the Los Angeles Clippers. Um, You know, you might know him from an Allen Iverson um, highlight, but more than likely, I feel like Ty Lue is going to be the coach of the Pelicans. I think that's pretty clear. But when I want to talk more, I think there's going to be even more coaching changes. Like if the Rockets disappoint another year in the postseason, they got a tough matchup here with OKC. A lot of people picked OKC to win this, but I think the Thunder are going to uh, – the Rockets are going to win this one, like I already stated. But if, if they get bounced in the second round to the Lakers – uh, and even if they maybe don't even make the Western Conference finals, or maybe Daryl Morey has huge aspirations for this team and they don't make it to the finals or win it, I think Mike D'Antoni might be on his way out. I've That's been a lot of reports that I've read is that this might be his last year if they don't win a championship and get over the helm. So there could be another coaching change. I, I, I just feel like it's not the only one. I, I think more teams are going to let their coaches go, bring in new guys. That's really the only playoff team to this point that I think would really let their coach go. You know, Frank Vogels is his first year with the Lakers. He's not going anywhere after just getting the one seed. You know, Mike Malone's been great with the Nuggets. He's not going anywhere. Quinn Schneider with the Jazz. He ain't going anywhere. Doc Rivers with the Clippers. He's not going anywhere. Rick Carlisle is one of the best coaches in the league. He's not going anywhere. Um, Mike Budenholzer with the Bucks. He shouldn't be going anywhere. Uh, unless maybe they lose to the Magic, then they might reconsider because he's come up short in the playoffs, but I don't think that's going to happen that quickly. Like, the Bucks are going to win that series. Just even the Magic have their coach, Steve Clifford. Uh, most teams have their coaches, but you never know. Maybe I just see more teams letting go of their coaches because it always happens. Like, four or five coaches just lose their job, even after having success in the postseason. It, it's always it's always how it goes. You know the playoffs. Apparently, Nets are trying to poach Greg Popovich from the Spurs is one report that I'm reading. They're going to make him a godfather-type offer that he can't refuse. So I, the coaching carousel is just going to continue. And like I said, we'll save it, I who I think are the top five coaching candidates, um, for another episode. You can't give away all your material in one. you know, you got to hold on to this stuff, baby. But Yeah, just a couple of the coaching moves. Gentry gone with the Pelicans. Jim Boylan gone with the Bulls. Uh, Tom Thibodeau was brought in by the Knicks. And uh, it's not over. Uh, I don't think the coaching carousel is going to stop there. Uh, I really don't. I think more guys are going to lose their job. More guys are going to get brought in and hired. Um, It's just how it goes in the NBA. There's always a high coaching turnover in the league. It, it, it's always how it works out. Every year, it's always like that. Topic number four. We're going to go back to college football and go with what Urban Meyer said about spring football. He said there's no chance of spring football for college. And he has good reason to say that. He was the recent coach at The Ohio State University. And it's terrible weather in that time of the year when they plan on starting up again for college football. I went to Bowling Green State University in Northwest Ohio, upper Northwest Ohio, close to the Michigan border. It it doesn't get nice there until uh, like the last days, last weeks of school when I was there. It didn't get nice until May. And they plan on playing football in January, February, and March, even April. Let, Ohio's not pleasant during that time of year. Indiana's not pleasant. Illinois, Minnesota, Michigan. uh, Just keep going up. Pennsylvania, New York. Just keep going up in that area. It's not pleasant places to play during that time of year. And they expect to play college football then. It's going to look ugly. Rain, sleet, snow. If you're a fan of that kind of football, I'm not. I want to see guys playing in Dome when they can do everything that they want on the field to really decide who the best team is. I don't want to see... Ridiculous football, where we got six fumbles in a game. We're throwing five interceptions. Just ugly football. And to go back, what Urban said. He said, "No chance. No chance." They played. You can't ask a player to play two seasons in a calendar year. When I first heard that, I said, "I said that. I don't see this happening." When I hear it, uh, the body, in my very strong opinion, is not made to play two football seasons within a calendar year. Uh, That's 20,000 repetitive reps, and football's physical, tough sport. So I don't really see that happening. And what he's talking about is two years. Okay, they take fall off, but then they play in the spring, and then they're supposed to take a couple months off and then bounce right back to football in September again. So the season is supposed to go supposedly for this spring football season. It's supposed to technically go January to May. That's the time frame that they have. Okay, then they get June, July, August, right back to it in September. Opening week for football was supposed to be September 5th, just a few short weeks from today. So you expect them just to take June, July off and then be back for workouts on campus in August to be ready for – and they're coming on campus earlier than that. They're on campus in like July, June. That's not any time off. That's huge injury risk for guys who don't even get paid, who don't even get compensated for their services. I agree. There's, I don't know how you can ask guys to do that. And if you have guys who are going to opt out of that, okay. What about the freshmen and sophomores? It just, they'd have to then delay the season going into next year. And I don't know how you can do that to you got to get it back on cycle. You got to get back a rhythm with it. You got to get back on track, back on schedule. And I don't know how they can do that if they plan on playing football in the spring. I just, I have a hard time seeing it as well. It just, mm, it, I don't think it's going to work. I don't think it's going to work. Continue with what Meyer said. we recruited players at Ohio State that have a chance to earn a living and play the game and be rewarded for their great efforts and you're going to ask them to play spring football by the way and then go miss OTAs and not prepare for a dream to play in professional football that's not fair it just that makes sense to me as well like the draft happens in May so you're going to go ask them to play not be ready for the draft and everything like that and then OTAs it just this is just going to cause even more screw ups and uncertainty in college football if they try to play in the spring. It, I really don't know how it can work. I really don't. If they expect it to happen at the time frame that they have, they the NFL is going to have to push the draft back. They're going to have to do different things there. And then going into another college football season, like I said, there's no way with the wear and tear that they put on their bodies that they can recover in just two short months to then go play another high-octane college football season. I just don't see it. It's not physically possible. These guys need rest. There's a reason that the season happens from September to if your team is good all the way to late December and then into January. And then there's a reason they get pretty much all of January, all of February, all of March, all of April, all of May, all of June, and then back pretty much on campus from there. They need six or seven months off to be able to recover from the wear and tear they put on their body. It's just too much to ask them to do all that. So I think you're asking a lot of people who don't get paid for their efforts. It's just not physically possible for them to be able to play a spring season and then be expected to play high octane football again in just a few short months. It's a tough ask. And these are just such unprecedented times. It's just really unprecedented times. So Mm. And not a lot of, that's the problem. That's the problem when you come in with no plan and you just expect something to go away. You know, I think that's what college football was banking on. I think that's what the NFL was banking on. They were expecting coronavirus to hang around March, April, start to decline May, June, wouldn't have to worry about it. We just go right into regular football. Well, no, cases are higher than ever. And they got a lot of things to worry about. Cases are finally going down here in Florida, thankfully. But with what's going on around the country, Cases still happening, just hmm. It's, it's a sticky situation for sure. And if these college institutions and NFL teams don't do the right thing, there's going to be a lot of problems on their hand, a lot of problems. Topic number four, we're just bouncing right back to the NBA with this one. I think the bubble has been fantastic. I think it has been, of all the sport leagues coming back that aren't that are actual team sports. You know, yeah, NASCAR, you yeah, have your pit crew, the team like that, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's a single sport. It's one person driving a car. He's by himself. You know, golf, yeah, he has his caddy, but, you know, they could separate. They could social distance out there on the court, you know, but for team sports, you know, baseball just went, you know, we're just playing at the stadiums. We're going to take it as it comes with the coronavirus. If guys get sick, we're just going to postpone games, push things back, make them play more double headers, things of that nature. While basketball... And hockey, I think, did the right things in going into the bubble and, you know, really quarantining themselves, doing a self-separation, keeping them, you know, in a secluded area that is Disney World or for the NHL, Edmonton and Toronto. I think that was the right way to go. And it's been fantastic. The games have been um, high octane. It's been fun basketball. It's been really competitive. I love what I've been watching so far. Um, But... With that being said, I, I want to talk about some of the ideas that they've implemented in this bubble that I hope carry over into future seasons for the NBA. Because I think the bubble has been great, and I love what I've seen. And, le- and this goes for layout, what they've done as far as you know the games being played themselves. So we'll go f- five takeaways that I've had from the bubble so far that I want to carry over. The first one has got to be, NBA, please schedule games throughout the day. You, you can say whatever you want for the ratings. You know, you want the West Coast viewership. You want all that. But the people who follow basketball, the people who pay attention to it, will drive the enjoyment for a 1.30 game. They'll make an effort to watch it. If you put good teams on at that time, if you do certain things, and they can do it with the scheduling. They can schedule games throughout the day with travel. There's less back-to-backs. You already send teams close, schedule them to play somewhere. They already do it. There's California trips all the time for teams that don't play in California that just go right down the coast of going to Sacramento, then Golden State, then going all the way down to Los Angeles to play the Lakers and the Clippers, and then you just keep going to Phoenix. You just kind of make those rounds like that. But please, schedule day games. I've had a lot of fun. It's been March Madness esque of being able to watch a game start at 1:30. Like I loved it. I was at work today watching the Bucks Milwaukee game. It was fantastic. Getting to watch basketball during the day, it it was pleasing. It was pleasant. I really enjoyed it. It just, I think it'll keep drawing more excitement, more people paying attention to it, more people talking about talking about it. It gives definitely will give the NBA more games on TV that they can schedule through NBA TV. TNT can have day games or basketball all throughout the day. Maybe even more networks can get involved on this. NBA makes more money through the TV contracts. I just think it's, please, schedule games through all throughout the day. It's just been fantastic. Just keep doing that. Second thing I want them to do, they need to I love what they've done with the benches and under the hoop things. Now I understand there's not as many f- media members, there's not as many uh, f- photographers there, videographers. You know, it, They can't have people under the basket right now. They're just not there. But I want that for games moving forward. Nothing scares me more than when a player goes up for a dunk layup then gets hit, and he just goes flying out of bounds, and he runs into the cameraman, or he runs into the first row and those crowd of people with his legs going first. You never know what could happen as far as knee injuries, ankle injuries, just any fluke thing that could happen. He could land on someone funny. I saw it a few years ago with Paul George hitting the, you know, he hit the actual NBA basket, but that same thing could happen when they go crashing into the crowd. And I understand those seats are valuable. Teams make a lot of money off that. But wouldn't the player's safety and well-being make it better for them to not have to worry about going crashing into the first row and possibly injuring themselves? That's what I'm always concerned about. A guy goes up for a layup and then sprains his ankle, something drastic happens, and it it can be devastating. It could be devastating for them. So I hope that they... From now on, keep no one there under the basket and push it back. Push them back. They can just be a little farther back. They can be behind the basket all the way, the entire vicinity of the hoop. And at this point, that's what they should go to. So no one, you don't get any fan that's yelling and spitting on these players or any germs going from camera guys or whatever can happen. Just keep them safe. Keep them healthy. So I think that's what they should do, extend that – that seating back. And then also, I love what the benches look like. If they pretty much get rid of the first, like, six rows at each arena and just make it kind of a little bubble right there in the court, then I think we can have fans moving forward. Uh, I just love how the bench is spaced out. Guys are able to move. Guys are able to stretch. They're not on top of each other. And, again, I understand the NBA and these teams probably make an incredible amount of money When people are that close and pay money to sit right next to the coach, right next to the bench, right next to the players, I'm sure people eat that up. But these are drastic times. And guess what? You can do that on the other side of the court. You can have those court side seats on the other side. You can have seats still directly behind them, give it a little space. But you can still have guys right behind them, fans right behind them. You can still have fans along the baseline just a little farther back. Just extend it back. Extend the bench, I think. It just will make the players more comfortable in the situation that we're in right now. So I would really like that. So that's the second thing is really just allowing these guys to have space, just letting them have space. Uh, Third thing, I think more of this speaking out on social injustice that these players are so passionately um, talking about constantly. You know, Black Lives Matter on the court, if they want to keep that, I think that would be great but let them have social messaging on their jerseys. I think that's been great, but don't just limit it to a list. Allow that, you know, get approved sayings on their jerseys. You know, the league approves it, but allow the players to come up with what they want to come up with. I think that would do a better service than just saying a few things like justice now. You know, those statements are good. I I like those statements. I like that we see that, but allow it to have the players to have a little more control over that and decide what they want to say with league approval I'm all for that. The league can approve it, but allow these players to say what they really want to say on the back of their jersey, on the front of their jersey. Um, it'll just bring more ex- more enjoyment, mo- more notice to the game. It'll make the players feel empowered. You know, everyone wants to feel empowered nowadays, you know, speaking out on issues they want. I think that would be fantastic. So that's the third thing that I think the NBA should institute. The fourth thing uh whether we have fans or not next year, I really actually like the virtual fans thing. I talked about it before, how I don't like the what Major League Baseball does with the little fake fans, but if that's a way to generate revenue, you know, good for the teams to come up with that. But I like the virtual fans. If we're not going to have fans next season, it's a fun way to watch the game via webcam. I still haven't managed to figure it out on how to make it work because I don't like the Microsoft Teams app. But, you know, it's... I think it's cool that you're able to virtually come into the game. We've seen celebrities do it. Little Wayne, Paul Pierce, Shaquille O'Neill. you know, guys are getting into it. its I think it's a nice little addition. It makes you seem like you're there, at least, you know, visually. I like all the screens around it. And, yeah, I think it's great. I like the virtual fan aspect of it. Maybe let them pump a little of that noise in. People cheering from home, I understand you can't control what they say, but maybe put them on a little delay. You know, you can already have control of that if you're putting them up there on the screen. So if you hear any cuss, just give it a little mute button. Or if that's too technical for them, I understand it. But it would, you know, at least draw a little interest to see how people can yell and scream from their house and be heard at the stadium. Let's see if they can make that happen, but I think, I think it's been great. Virtual fans have been great. The final thing that I think the NBA needs to keep going into future seasons, it's got to be being able to hear the refs. I think it's fantastic that we're able to hear foul calls, what the refs said via technical, what the instant replay actually is, than rather just like, oh, they lost the challenge. Oh, they won the challenge. You know, actually telling us what they, the decision that they came to and hearing it directly from the refs gives fans more closure, like myself, who sit here and watch it at home, allows us to actually understand the thought process and the thinking of the refs. Not totally, but I think it's just better if we actually hear it directly from the refs rather than them saying it to the scorer's table who, with the commentator sitting right there who then have to translate it or if the refs say it directly to the commentators. So it would just give fans more closure if we directly hear foul calls right from the fa- uh right from the refs themselves and uh yeah, I just want to I just want to understand cuz these refs sometimes make super questionable calls and we want to be able to hold them accountable to know who's saying that. And the commentators do us a nice job of telling us who that ref is, who told us um what was said. So I would like that going for future seasons, and those are the five things that I want to keep going for the NBA for future seasons, and those are the five topics of the Hang Time with Helgi episode 25. Now for my unpopular opinion, and I want to talk about this today because apparently it's controversy in Major League Baseball. The controversy happened yesterday. My guy, of the San Diego Padres, Fernando Tatis Jr. hit a grand slam when his team was up seven runs against the Texas Rangers. And what he did was controversial about that grand slam. He hit it on a 3-0 count. That's right. Unwritten rules say you're not supposed to swing at a 3-0 count. And especially when you apparently you're leading in a game, apparently it's a big no-no to be adding runs. This is absolutely ridiculous. The unwritten rules of baseball are holding the game back. They have to go. I've talked about this before, but I need to talk about it again because of course it's at the spotlight of controversy. So the Rangers were butthurt that Fernando Tati swung on a 3-0 count, hit a grand slam, put his team up 11. Rangers change pitchers. And sure enough, the first pitch the guy throws, next batter, Manny Machado throws a fastball behind him obviously trying to hit him. He was intending to hit him. That's why he got suspended three games, and the manager for the Texas Rangers got suspended for one game. And he was butthurt because, oh, um, he's going against the old guard, the unwritten rules of baseball say not to swing at a 3-0 count. Well, would he be upset if, let's say, Tatis popped out to second base? No. Would he be upset if he grounded into a double play? No. I don't understand why he's only upset because he hit the grand slam, and he swung on a three zero count. So what? What are you supposed to do? Do you want? Do you want guys to not try? Like when it gets to a certain point in a game, are we just like we're just calling it? It's just like okay, this team can no longer try, but the other team can try and come back. But this team can no longer swing at pitches that are right down the middle. Nope, can't do that. No, 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 no trying to score anymore. You're up enough. You're you're winning by enough. You're rubbing it in at this point. And if we remember a few years ago, you know the Texas Rangers beat the Orioles 30-3? to 30-3 in a baseball game. They scored 30 runs. Yeah, I don't think they took their foot off the gas pedal. I think they, they, they kept going for it. So, uh, and then uh, I saw a clip. Um, I can't remember the manager off the top of my head. I just think he's an idiot for the Rangers. Let me find it real quick before... I, uh I just, he was suspended a game, good, glad, glad, he deserves to be suspended a game, because he's an idiot, Chris Woodward, and I remember watching a clip, just a, just a few minutes before I started the podcast, of, uh, this was a couple years ago, he was the third base coach for the Los Angeles Dodgers, and uh, they were up 7-1 against the Seattle Manor, top of the seventh, you know, uh, 7-1 game, Manny Machado hits two-run home run, oh, Uh, And he swung on a 3-0 count, hit the home run on a 3-0 count, and guess who high-fived Machado when he was rounding the bases? Oh, Mr. Woodward. Oh, so it's okay when it's your team mounting the runs, but not when another team does it to you. Oh, that's that's showing them up. Unwritten rules of baseball say you're not supposed to swing. Mm, Going against everything this game stands for, unacceptable. The unwritten rules of baseball hold the game back. They hold it back because we're holding on to these things that aren't even written in stone. Even when you talk about it, even when you mention it, it's dumb to even say out loud and you realize how stupid it is and how guys are still, you know, acknowledging, acknowledging this and going by this. If you're not aware what some of the unwritten rules of baseball are, some of them are a little jinxy and a little hexy and all that, but, you know, one of them is like don't talk about a no-hitter when a no-hitter is in progress or a perfect game. You don't mention the amount of hits. Oh, you don't bring it up to the pitcher. Yeah, that's a little superstition-y. It's just like stepping on the line in a game. Don't step on the foul line. Don't ruin the chalk, yeah. It's always a big thing, always very superstitious. Baseball is a very pastime superstitious type sport. The baseball gods won't reward you if you do bad things. Okay, I can get superstitious stuff like that. I can, I, I can live with that if you want to go like that. But no bat flipping. No, if you bat flip, no. That's a no-no. If you bat flip after a home run, your your next next guy at plate getting 99 to his head. No, that's stupid. No, that's dumb. That's getting excited for what you just did. And what you're paid to do is hit bombs. What Tatis is paid to do is hit bombs. And his GM and manager were mad. Like, you saw the highlight of him hitting a grand slam. I'd never seen a GM not be clapping when a guy hit a grand slam. Oh, he swung on a 3-0 count. Who cares? He's adding insurance run. No lead is safe in baseball. Just ask the San Francisco Giants. They are so good at blowing leads. No lead is safe. Get as many insurance runs as you possibly can all the time, every time. I, I don't understand why, after a certain point, guys are expected to not try anymore? Like, why can't you try? Why would you stop trying to score? The g- objective of the game is to put runs on the board. Oh, you know, oh they, they made us feel bad. We didn't like that. We didn't feel good about them putting up those extra runs. We, you know what? Be better. You know, throw better pitches. Don't get behind 3-0 in a count and have to groove a fastball dick high so he can belt one into the bleachers. Be better. Be a better team. Stop, oh, eh, he hurt our feelings by trying to score more runs. No, you're soft. You're soft as baby shit, and you're taking it personal that he hit a home run when he wasn't supposed to. You wouldn't be mad if he hit into a double play on a 3-0 count. You wouldn't be complaining about this. It's because he hit a grand slam. I think it's absolutely absurd. Some more. Just... Unwritten rules of baseball. Don't steal when greatly ahead. Look, I can understand not stealing third with two outs because you're already in scoring position. You don't want to lose an out on the base path by trying to advance an extra base when you're already in scoring position. That's just common baseball knowledge that you should just understand about the game. But don't try to steal bases when you're greatly ahead. Again, the objective is to score runs in baseball. You're supposed to put yourself in position to score runs. If you get a good jump, if the catcher has a weak arm, if you see a pitch down and away, and you you take off, do what you can to put as many runs on the board. We shouldn't be criticizing guys for trying to do what they're supposed to do and score. I, mm, I don't like it. Oh, and then don't steal bases when you're greatly behind. Yeah, okay. It's dumb to think that your one base running thing can make a difference. Yeah. I get that. Okay, that's just common baseball. You, that's not like an unwritten rule. You should just be smart out there. Don't be dumb. If a pitcher hits a teammate, hit one of theirs. It's what. So I understand street justice. Like the Astros deserve it because they didn't get any suspensions. Okay, so a nice little 95 to the hip to Altuve is just what he deserves because this MLB didn't want to suspend him. But it shouldn't just be an automatic, oh, a guy – Hit your player. Oh, so I have to retaliate by hitting your player. It's just, it's stupid. It's just childish. You're grown men. Accept it. Another one, don't admire your home run. This comes to bad flipping too. It's like Max Muncie. just, he looked at his home run too long a couple years ago against Madison Bum Fuck, Grilled one in... To the bay out there, into the water, and he just watched it a little too long. Stood in the batter's long box for an extra two seconds. God forbid a guy admires the work that he's putting in out there and hitting dingers. Oh, but Madison Bumgarner got mad. Oh, I got mad because he hit a home run off me. Throw a better pitch, Madison. Th- don't throw one right down the middle so he can cake it out of there. Don't make such bad pitches. Rangers, don't get behind in the count if you don't want to give up home runs and have to groove one down the middle for a strike rather than walk a run. It's just, mm, I just, it holds baseball back, these unwritten rules. And everyone has been on Tatis' side with this. Everyone. The players have come out. I love what Trevor Powers said. He said, Tatis, keep doing what you're doing. Let me pull up the exact a comment that Trevor Bauer said, because I absolutely loved it. Trevor Bauer's the man. You know, he might play for the Cincinnati Reds rival of the Chicago Cubs, but Trevor Bauer is the man. Trevor Bauer for commissioner. But what he said, hey, Tatis, listen up. Keep swinging 3-0 if you want to, no matter what the game situation is. Keep hitting homers, no matter what the situation is. Keep bringing energy and flash to baseball and making it fun. The only thing you did wrong was apologize. Stop that. Uh, Again, Trevor Bauer gets it. Baseball's viewership, average viewership, is old people, is an old guard. This is a new era. It's time to turn a new leaf in baseball and make the game exciting. The talent has never been better. And yet, these guys aren't allowed to show any emotion. They're not allowed to get excited. Oh, you got you to gotta tame them. No, Tatis isn't like that. Javier Baez isn't like that. These guys want to be excited. Tim Anderson of Chicago White Sox, these guys want a bad flip. They want to have fun. They want to show emotion. They want to get excited. There's no reason they should be criticized for that. It'll bring a much, much-needed energy to the game. If we allow these guys to show emotion and have fun out there, they can show that baseball's fun. Oh, it looks boring because no one's having any fun. Well, yeah, no one's allowed to have any fun. Because, oh, the unwritten rules say you're not supposed to do this or that. Oh, cry me a river. These guys should be able to do whatever they want out there. Speaking of Tim Anderson, when it came to Tatis, he was like, this is why the game won't grow, why the manager don't have the back through whatever anyways. The game wasn't over yet. Again, that's what I go by. No lead is safe in Major League Baseball. Like, you go out there to score runs to give your team insurance so the game is secure. You see crazy things happen all the time in baseball when leads are blown. Pitchers can have one bad inning. One guy faces six batters. Oh, he gives up five runs. Oh, in a seven-run game? That's a two-run game with an inning to go? Uh Uh-oh. We got a close one but that team had to stop trying because of the unwritten rules. They weren't allowed to score anymore. They had too many runs. They have to stop. It's like that just sounds dumb. It it would bring. This is why the game, I agree 100% with Anderson too. It's why the game won't grow. You don't allow these guys to be themselves. You don't allow them to be passionate. You box them in. You're controlling them in an unnecessary way. You can't control these players. You got to have fun. Just, Tim Anderson said, don't apologize next time. Let them sit in it, bruh. For sure. Uh, if you don't want to be losing by that much and don't want to give up grand slams on 3-0 counts, don't get behind 3-0. Be a better team. Be, a, be better. Don't be bad. Here's a Red Sox pitcher, Colin McHugh. This is what he had to say. Swinging in a 3 0 count should not be against any rules, no matter the score. Before a game, I would always look to see what percentage a guy swings 3 0. If it's over 20%, it means I can't just groove one. The guys who will never give you a pitch at the plate are the toughest A Bs. Yeah, 100%. It, if you know a guy is going to swing 3 0, that just shows you that you can't groove it. And you shouldn't be grooving 3 0 just because you got behind in the count. You still got to make a pitch. Go paint the corner. Go paint the inside corner. Throw an off-speed pitch that will fool them. You can't just be grooving fastballs to the guy. They're going to feast. And just, Another one. And the Shields of the Indians. The year I stole 101 bags in the minor leagues, if we were up by a lot and I got a base and the pitcher picked over knowing I wasn't going to steal, guess what? I was stealing. Y'all want baseball to be fun again? Then let the kids play. If you don't like it, do better. Absolutely. If you don't like that teams are doing that against you, don't let it happen. Don't put yourself in situations like that. These guys want to play. They want to have fun. They want to express themselves. They want to be great. And then Amar Garrett of the Cincinnati Reds. I love how the Reds are speaking out. I don't follow unwritten rules. Yeah, no one should. We need to put an end to these unwritten rules of baseball and let these guys have fun again. Let them enjoy the game that they love. That is their profession and show why baseball is actually fun and enjoyable and is great for everyone. And isn't just this mundane game where guys go, oh, oh you can't showboat during a home run. No, don't do that. No, you can't, can't score any more runs after you're up a certain amount. No, you, you can't swing on a 3-0 count. It's just, these rules don't make any sense when you speak them out loud, so we need to get rid of it. It needs to be something that needs to go away from the game. This is a new era of baseball. It's time to take it to the new era level and make baseball exciting again and get people passionate about baseball. It used to be America's pastime, and it's slowly becoming a pastime, and I don't want it to because I'm a lifelong baseball fan, and I want people to appreciate the game like I do. And the best way to do it, add some necessary energy to the game, get people fired up, and allow these players to show emotion. Please, baseball, get rid of these unwritten rules and punish teams for following them just like you did with the Rangers. Punish them for doing it. Don't be grooving pitches on 3-0 counts. And that's the end of episode 25 of the Hang Time with Helgi podcast. Thanks for listening. Until next time, again, f- interact with me on social media. If you ever want to hop on an episode, hit me up. We'll figure out a way to do it. We'll figure out the epi- uh, topics to talk about. You know, anytime you want to talk sports, feel free to hit me up. But remember during this pandemic that is the COVID-19. Wash your damn hands. Alright, I'm out. Peace.